Hello and welcome to China Econ Talk, a sub-China podcast in the Seneca Network. So, why should anyone care about Chinese tech stocks? What is ByteDance, apparently now the highest valued private company in the world? And what are the future problems they may face? What are some classic examples of Chinese tech companies failing to expand abroad? And what is China's PayPal mafia and how exactly are they influencing the Chinese tech scene? For all these questions and more, we turn to Elliot Zagman, reporter at Technode and executive coach for Chinese tech founders. Elliot, so great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jordan. It's good to be here. So word on the street is that you're dropping a new podcast of your own. Yeah, man. It just dropped. Well, kind of, it's, it's, it's in the process of dropping, okay. depending on, uh, on, on, on how you uh, consume your podcast. You so. want to do a little, uh, a little pitch for it? So what's, yeah. the, uh, what's the topic? What's by, the title? By the time that this podcast comes out, it should be uh, on all platforms. But the, the name of the, of the podcast is The China Tech Investor. So um, I am, I'm co-hosting it with uh, James Hull. James Hull is a portfolio manager here in Beijing. Um, and w- between the two of us, we, ha- we have about uh, 20 years altogether of experience in China um, and working with and around either uh, the Chinese tech or financial industry. Um, the reason why uh, we decided to go into, into this topic, um, one is that both of us are you know, investors in, in stocks and tech stocks and in, in Chinese tech stocks. Uh, we're very interested in it. Um, and, you know, I think in addition to that, it's it can be really it can be, you know, it, things operate business operates by a different set of rules in China. Right. So what um, if you apply all the rules of investing in the U.S. or with a Silicon Valley tech stock to a Chinese tech stock, um, it may not apply. Um, so we don't have all the answers, but we're looking for the answers. Um, so we say we are trying to seek truth from facts uh, when it comes to the world of China tech investing. Um, and, you know, we invite our listeners to go along on that quest with us. Sure. So again, it's called the Chi- China Tech Investor. Awesome. Yeah. So let's turn now to uh, the the Chinese tech startup that perhaps has had some of the most uh, dramatic success abroad over mm. the past few months, which is which is ByteDance. Mm. Could you walk us through what this company is and and what it's been doing overseas? Okay. ByteDance is they basically have they do machine learning and content recommendation, and that's kind of the their core technology, right? And then they can basically organize that around any kind of of content. Right, so they started off with General uh, Toutiao, today's headline, which mm-hmm. is a basically a news news recommendation app, which is China's most popular news recommendation app. They find out what people they're able to to gather enough data very quickly about a user to identify their consumption patterns yeah. and then recommend stuff for them. So they've had their app in China, their news app, General Toutiao, is has been quite addictive. And so I think the average user spends almost an hour a day on it. Yeah. I, I don't have the number 
you know, in front of me, but it's somewhere around there, which if you think that, you know, they have a large user base in China and they have an hour's worth of their eyeballs, like that's, like, extraordinary. That, that, that's really good. Yeah. Um, and then they've expanded where they've had a lot of their growth recently is in short video. So they have in China, it's called Douyin. Mm-hmm. Um, abroad, it's called TikTok. They acquired Musical.ly, which is a China-based, but it got successful in the U.S. mostly with like 12, 13, 14-year-olds, yes. um, you know, lip-syncing to songs. And they basically took that model and basically, you know, went all in on it. And that's what Douyin is, and that's what TikTok is. It's basically kind of a reformatted Musical.ly. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, they've had really good growth, especially in, in places like Southeast Asia, people like People like to use that. There was a great article uh, recently by Raymond Zhang in the Times interviewing these young users from all around Asia outside of China. Mm. And the reporter clearly asked them, like, did you know this was a Chinese brand? And none of them had any clue, mm-hmm. um, you know, from from South Korea, from Indonesia, from Japan, mm-hmm. from the U.S. as well. Uh, so so it's really interesting how it seems like the like the best a Chinese company can do is to sort of hide their uh, hide their know, strength and bite their time. Yeah, hide, <laughs> oh, please let's, let's skip that um, uh, skip that Chengyu for today. But um, uh, you you've been writing recently on TechNote about some of the issues that they've started to yeah. have when it comes to content. As yeah, you, as you as you might expect from any app that has a strong user-based population in the mm. you know preteen and teen ranges, um, there's some safety concerns that come up on, oh, absolutely. Uh, with those sorts of users. It's the same kind of problems that a, that a platform like Facebook would have sure. or Instagram. But let's start from the very beginning. Uh, I think that what, what they are is they're kind of like, you know, if you think about all the criticism that, that Facebook or Twitter or Instagram – um, YouTube has been getting lately because they use similar co- content recommendation algorithms. What ByteDance does is they say, let's look at these tactics and let's just crank them up. Let's yeah. put them on steroids, which is also why I'm like, why the hell is nobody is like, nobody have a problem with this, right? It's every, <laughs> everything that we see that is such a problem with our platform's that we're using, for example, in the states, or that most of the world is using, and ByteDance is like, let's let's turbocharge that, yep. and and let's print money. You know what's what's interesting is that you know on on Twitter, on Instagram, mm. you choose the people you follow. Mm. On Facebook, you know, two thirds of what you see is actually people you know posting things, yeah. right? But what's interesting with Douyin and Chinri Totao and the um and TikTok and and Top Buzz, the mm. Chinese products, is like it's the same recommendations, but it's all people you don't know making the products. And they curate it for you. Yeah. Right? Which is on the one hand, super entertaining. Yes. Like I'm a huge Douyin fan, spend maybe 20, 30 minutes a day. Um, and the people, the the content I get served is like mm. definitely more funny, more interesting, mm. more well produced than like whatever Douyin's my friends are making yeah. at the time. Yeah, I mean, but it also fun. introduces these uh, these real issues when it comes to stuff like fake news and child protection yeah. that you um, uh, yeah. that you wrote about recently. Well, well let's start. I want to start from everything I've done this year. Sure. Um, so I've written, basically covered two different problems that the, the company's platforms have had. One is, at the end of last year, because I... You know, I, I write. So I was approached by some of the the people who run the their platform Top Buzz, which is basically Jinra Totiao, but yeah. in English. Um, and they're like, uh, do you want to, you know, you know, take some of your content, you know, you can just republish some of your articles and then you know, we'll pay you two cents per click. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's give it a try. And so I tried it a little bit and I downloaded the app 
And I was like, I published a couple of articles. It didn't make, you know, I made like a dollar per article. So I was like, oh, this is not really worth the time to copy and paste. And so did I also was like, this is not really, I don't want kind of my, my name associated with, with this platform because it was a lot of really kind of lowest common denominator, just kind of cheap clickbait stuff. World star hip hop was my analogy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what I also started seeing is, do you remember that that election in Alabama with Roy Moore and Doug Jones? Absolutely. Right? My so, sister was on the campaign trail. Oh, really? Knocking on doors. Yeah. yeah. For, for, for Roy Moore, I, I, I assume? But who was the good guy? For that? <laughs> that was, uh, well, the, Roy Moore w- was the pedophile. And, not, the, uh, <laughs> not the pedophile. Not the pedophile. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. Um, uh, so there was, I got a, a push notification from them. That, so Doug Jones won the election. Doug Jones, yes. Right. Roy, Roy Moore was the name, right, because he was this guy who was kind of this firebrand and also had been accused of, you know, uh, being kind of predatory with, with, with teenage girls. And I got a push notification that says Roy Moore wins election. Yeah. And I'm like, what? This is not true. Right? But if you think about their algorithm, if you, they're playing, paying for two cents a click and you're trying to, trying to make as much money as possible, right? If you have the headline that every other news outlet has, but then you're not going to get a whole lot of clicks. Yeah. But, if you, but if you have the one that, you know, the Dewey, Dewey defeats Truman, then... You know, People are going to be like, what? Is this real? Yeah, sure. Exactly. If, that, if that's all it is, is, is just clicks per dollar. Exactly. Um, if that's the only metric that's deciding whether or not you know it's getting pushed, yeah. sure. Um, and then the the fake news stuff just started getting out of control with the, with the platform. So yeah. I'd, I'd get messages that said stuff like, Julia Roberts says that Michelle Obama is not fit to clean Melania Trump's toilet. <laughs> Right. So what the hell? I mean, that I so I what right wing activist Julia Roberts. Yes, exactly. uh, (laughs) I look at I so I so I from the blind side to the dark side. of. And that's Sandra Bullock. That's it. Oh, no. Sorry. From Pretty Woman. (laughs) From Pretty Woman to uh, to, um, you know, to 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 Breitbart. Um, So they what they uh, what you could tell you could see how this gets made, though. It is. Clickable name, clickable name, clickable name. Yeah. Right? That's going to drive traffic. And then incendiary comment. Right? Boom. Gets run out. And then you'd have, like, if you look at their politics channel or their uh, science channel, that's where it was just filled with garbage. It was filled with, it was, you know, is NASA lying to us? The moon is four miles from Earth. Jesus right? Christ. Which is, I mean, a, a 747 doesn't fly, you know, flies more than four miles yeah, from Earth. Yeah, right? yeah. Or they'd have something like, it's confirmed, Obama travels with a demon in his entourage. <laughs> like, and they'd have, like, the, the, this photo of, like, where something looks kind of shit, like, a, like you know, foggy next okay. to him. It's like, oh, it's confirmed. Crazy. It's a demon, right? But just this absolute, you know. This is worse than World Star. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is way worse than It's World weekly Star. world news. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's the stuff you see in the, you know, the, the supermarket checkout line. Yeah. It's, it's Hillary Clinton's alien lover. Right. You know, it, it's stuff like that. So I wrote a, when I first started seeing it, I sent, I sent ByteDance, you know, their top buzz team a message. I was like, you guys got to clean this stuff up. And they were like, are you going to write something about this? I was like, I don't plan on doing it right now. I waited a couple months. They didn't clean it up. So I wrote something about it. Yeah. Their, their PR was, and has always been, their in-house PR is always uh, aloof. They don't engage with me that much. Yeah. Their uh, third-party PR is... They they have a tendency to push and and be kind of aggressive, but within what's the, there to be aggressive about that? I, I mean, it's well, like, it, but 
they're like, we don't agree with this way that you characterized it. Or we want you to add this information about our social responsibility programs, right? And I do, sure. Yeah. But they're also quite... They push, 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 push. Yeah. But but it's within the it's within the parameters of professional behavior. Sure. Right. So it is it is annoying. It's pesky. But you know it's like you know you're playing basketball, right? And someone's guarding you. Really, you know maybe a little bit aggressive, right? You know it it's annoying. You know you yeah, hope these you hope, people are doing their jobs, right? Exactly. Yeah. You hope the, the the ref blows the whistle, but you know they're not they're not kneeing you in the in the groin or anything sure. like that, right? So you know I I that article went out. And over the, a few months, I've, I've been following Top Buzz, and you know it's still garbage, it's still clickbait, but they get rid of a lot of the fake stuff, right? Which is good. good I mean, great. but but however, like it's it's still a clickbait platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they do. They just they pump out garbage. Okay. You know, it's what they do is they're McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like they say, okay, what is what McDonald's says? What is basically your your fundamental base, lowest common denominator desire? Right. So they they go to children. Right. They go to you know the <laughs> your your I I love McDonald's. Right. My amygdala loves McDonald's. Yeah. Right. My prefrontal cortex. Uh, knows I shouldn't eat it, yeah. right? And that's what bite dance is, right? Yeah. Like, you know you shouldn't click on that, right? But your animal brain wants to, yeah. right? I will say in defense of of the Douyin product, which is mm-hmm. the one that I've used the most, is mm-hmm. at this point, the ecosystem is large enough mm-hmm. that the amount of content that it has mm-hmm. can support like different types of consumption habits so Mm. at this point like it knows i like history Mm. so it has like all these like really cute well-produced two-minute videos about like some crazy empire emperor from like the ming dynasty or something and you know there's like it knows i play badminton so it has Mm. like crazy badminton highlights and like badminton tutorials it knows i like you know chinese painting so it will Mm. like teach me how to like paint a flower every 10th video or Mm. something so i i think there's i think there's a few things going on here Mm. i mean clearly there's a large amount of the consumer base that is Mm. like more than happy living in that universe but it's Mm. also probably the case that like the the content ecosystem in the west Mm. for tiktok for for tapas isn't quite Mm. as rich as maybe what's what they've been able to build in china yeah although although, i mean have you looked at junior tokyo I mean, oh, Totiao, to- yeah, Totiao is a different, a different ballgame, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, and also, it's the sort of thing where, like, I don't think I've spent enough time on the Totiao app for mm. me to teach it that, like, I like real news, not like right, people punching right. each other and like people getting into fights on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's an aspect of where this goes both ways, and like the AI, like their algorithm can only be good as like this, as good as the stuff that it's uploading. Mm. So like. I spent a few hours, I was back in the States recently, mm. I spent some time on on TikTok mm. trying to like like the videos that would be sort of more mature and less mm. teens dancing. And it mm. just seemed like there wasn't enough there yet yeah. for it to learn that like I liked stuff mm. besides teens dancing. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, it could, this is the sort of thing where like the content is only as good as the uh, platform. And it's not like a search engine where it can pull from everything, um, you yeah, know, they around can only, the globe. They can only pull for what they make. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's... um. I see that there are problems. Their mission statement is not let's dump garbage on our yeah. users. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a great Zhang Yiming, I think it was like a 36KR uh, interview, mm. or maybe it was a piece about him where basically yeah. he he was portrayed as like this most like 
like controlled kind of like delay satisfaction type of guy and mm. you know he wouldn't take the he didn't take the early investment mm. from from alibaba or or tencent he was kind of always pushing gratification further and further off mm. the irony being that his products are the exact opposite <laughs> right so we yeah. have this like super self-controlled like engineering yeah. phd kind of building this product which is incredibly aimed at you know very much aimed at amygdala mm. instant gratification yeah never have a second of downtime of boredom. yeah yeah so i imagine there's some part of him that may not be super comfortable with um no, with the stuff he's putting out as well there was an investor meeting that they had um there was a call that and one of the investors asked like why do you why is the content so like low grade so 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 basic, right? Yeah. So, you know, so, so, you know, so McDonald's, right? And, um, and he goes, we've tried, when we tried to do world affairs or, you know, the more kind of productive stuff, uh, people don't want to read it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not, it's, it's our fault as much as it is bite dances, yeah. you know, but yeah, there's a reason Buzzfeed like is valued at a few billion dollars and like the New York times isn't yeah. right. Well, I mean, I mean, there's there's also a lot of reasons for yeah. that. But anyways, <laughs> but it, but so what what ended up happening is I and then I found in what was it is September, like August September, there is this uh, YouTube video blogger. Uh, his name he goes by the name of Pay Money Wubby. Oh yeah, and um, I never heard of this guy before. And then I had somebody kind of re- like be like, hey, you should you should check us out because uh, you know I know you 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 write about this company. Um, but he looked at uh, at Musically, but before they changed the name to TikTok, it's it's the same app. Um, they and and about how basically how you know their their influencers get followers, right, and get clicks. Yeah. And you know the their especially in the U.S. their their core user base is somewhere around like 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, you know, kind of middle school age. And, you know, what do you do if you're trying to get followers? Uh, you know, he just goes through it and it's like just it's very it's hypersexualized. You know, it's, you know, middle schoolers, you know, singing along to very, you know, kind of provocative songs, not wearing a lot of clothes, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and basically, you know, he, he looks at how it's kind of a, a platform that is ripe for predatory behavior and it, and there are a lot of you know there have been a, a lot of other videos as well that, that look at the safety issues right? sure. when it comes to the kids that are on it as well as family groups parents groups in the u.s that have kind of brought attention to the app so this guy's video goes viral like 1.3 million views and then and it kind of makes him right he gets all these new followers and then all of a sudden uh his video gets taken down and he Ooh. gets he gets a copyright strike from youtube yeah. Right. That he uh, that ByteDance had filed a complaint. Right. The complaint was in Chinese. Right. So it's probably not coming from their international PR. It's coming from their their Chinese PR. Yeah. And and it says, uh, you know, you're illegally using our logo. First of all, you if it's within YouTube's terms of service to if you're doing a review of a product, which you was to you can use their logo. Yeah. And secondly, there are thousands of videos on YouTube that have. Bite dances. Yeah, it's like logo. these old Vine clips, right? Like yeah. a funniest Vine of the month. You know, there are, there's the same thing for mm. musically videos. Yeah, exactly. We know the real reason why they took it down. Yeah, <laughs> and and then he and this guy's got a big following on like Reddit and Twitch and all these other platforms. So they complained as well to YouTube. YouTube ended up putting it back up, and 
it's fine now. So, but I wrote about that. Uh, and also PewDiePie actually, who does have an enormous following, uh, did another follow-up video kind of on the same theme. I don't know if you came across this. Oh, really? No, I didn't. Yeah, just saying like TikTok is kind of gross and weird and confusing. Oh, no, it is super gross and weird. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of videos that, that, that are about this. Yeah. So to be fair, again, like there's plenty of 15-year-olds yes. on Instagram with very revealing photos right. yeah. um, who also have tens of thousands of followers. I think the the, the issue you have here is like the, like the bamfa um, of... Of, of ByteDance doesn't necessarily seem to be ready to, to confront these issues abroad. Well, yeah, and also I think that they're, they, they're known in China, like Ma Huatong, the, 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 the CEO and found, uh, chairman of, of Tencent, kind of called them out for, he didn't say them specifically by name, but about the problem of Hei Gongguan, like black PR, yeah. which, which is really common in China, where I just think the standards of behavior... Like internet companies in China, they fight harder, I think, and fight dirtier than your standard Silicon Valley company. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, that's kind of that makes it more interesting. That makes it, uh, you know, more fun to write about. Sure. But I'll, but I'll, and until they come after you, <laughs> um, and that's a problem. Um, uh, so and and ByteDance is known for being on the dirtier side of things with how they do things. This is their reputation. And it's, in some ways, it's kind of how they've had to do it, right? They want to establish themselves independently. They don't want to be part of this, you know, be kind of like, um, you know, absorbed by the the monsters that are Tencent and, and Alibaba. So they're trying to, to build themselves up. What do you do? You have to kind of be a street fighter, right? Yeah. So uh, it is, in some ways, it is understandable. But I wrote about them, um, I wrote about, for example, and, and I include a whole lot of other uh, cases of, you know, where parental parents groups have been, you know, concerned in the U.S. about how the Indonesian government blocked them for a, a while for promoting what they consider to be indecent behavior, and about how, you know, it's it's really difficult to, even though they don't have to have this kind of, you know, they don't have to set up offices all over the world, but to adapt to all these different internet regulations and different cultural standards abroad is, is, is a tricky thing. Yeah. Right? And it's something that Facebook and Google haven't figured out with yes, exactly. years and years more of experience and a more international workforce um, and more revenue. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this is, this is, this is a challenge that, that everyone's facing and that um, given the, the speed of the inner of the success of, mm-hmm. of, of TikTok, they're running into, um, at a pace that no other Chinese tech firm has really had to yes, had to confront exactly, and yeah, just and just all new problems that that they are not used to dealing with. Sure, right. Um, but I I would also say another arg- argument that I would give. I mean, they have very powerful core technology, and they could be doing just about anything with it. Yeah, right. And there's a whole lot of areas where people need really good recommendations, right? But compare it with YouTube, compare it with Twitter, compare it with Facebook. Um, YouTube, yes, has a lot of, you know, crap on it, you know, until recently they had a lot of Alex Jones or, you know, just this kind of, you know, conspiracy theory stuff. They have a bit, they have problems with that, but they also have, you know, what if the world didn't have YouTube, right? I think we'd say, I would make the argument that it's a worse place, right? Um, we have plenty of problems on Twitter. What if the world didn't have Twitter? I think it's better that we have Twitter. Yeah. Right. If what if the world didn't have Facebook? There are problems on Facebook, but that's how I connect with my family. Right. Yeah. So so, but what if the world didn't have ByteDance? Yeah. I mean, it's like, a it's a it's a it's an open question. I think like the the thing that Douyin has turned into mm-hmm. at this point is value. Of, I mean, is not creating the social good that all these journalists 
you know, reporting news on Twitter is, but yeah. at the same time is a product that I think has a ton of value. No, sure. I um, mean, people really enjoy for, for healthy and less healthy reasons. And I love McDonald's. Yeah. Right. I love a double cheeseburger. Yeah. But I, I think that, w- that the argument that needs to be made, it, you know, is if, if, if we're giving the kind of criticism to YouTube for YouTube stuff, you know, <laughs> like I, I would say, yeah, there's not a lot of stuff on the other side of the ledger. Is right. What you're, uh, exactly. Is what you're exactly. At. And they have the capability to do it and they're not. Sure. So I, I wrote this piece about it. Technode ran it. Um, they knew it was going to come out of Technode. Their, their PR had some problems with it, but, you know, Technode stood by it. Huxio, which is the site that I write for in Chinese, they ran it. Um, it got a bunch of, of clicks and, and, and did quite well, but, you know, they, and, and, they never had any any issues with ByteDance PR. However, in Chinese, Saifu uh, Zhongwen, uh, which is the 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 Chinese English, Chinese version of Fortune magazine in mm-hmm. China, right? So their Chinese the Chinese language like platform, they will always run unless it's a particularly politically sensitive topic. They will take my content and they will rerun it with my permission, with Husio's permission in Chinese. They ran it, and then they get a a message the next day that it's from WeChat saying that ByteDance ha- is uh, accusing them of defamation for running that article, right? And um, if they are, if if WeChat confirms it, they will be you know penalized, and they will have to take the 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 uh, the article down as well. And then if they get penalized enough times, then their account gets taken down. They kind of. They explained that it, you know, what the article was, and um, you know they they defended themselves, and the article was not taken down. There was there was no issue with them. Yeah, but like, this is how ByteDance does. This is how they fight. Um, we because we know it because this is what they did with that YouTube blogger. Sure. <laughs> um, and then the you know this actually the two days after that article came out. Um, I wake up in the morning and try to get on WeChat and I'm blocked. It says I get a notification that says you have had a number of complaints about your behavior on WeChat. And uh, I don't think I do anything particularly bad on WeChat, um, but you have been blocked. Right. So I, I had to to kind of reread to to you know go through all this process to get back on. But then you added me on WeChat the that same day and you got a notification that was like don't trust this yeah, guy this right? guy's a criminal right <laughs> it's the same thing you get when like you add a new foreigner who has like one friend on WeChat being yeah. like this is a suspicious account like make sure you know who you're dealing with yeah yeah, yeah. so but it's like it's it's i i stand by everything that i've written i think i i uh, did everything in an ethical way and and this is the the way that they act yeah which i think is it's not it's cool. probably unsustainable um, from a from an international expansion perspective. Yeah, because well, you do yeah. this you do this enough times abroad, um, especially as as your presence gets bigger and mm-hmm. and people besides journalists who cover Chinese tech start to care about you. And then um, you know you I think either they'll learn their lesson very quick or problems will get very big very Let's fast. Hope so no, yeah. but it, but it pisses me off. Yeah, like well, like <laughs> you're gonna try to like that's my livelihood. You know, yeah. like if I can't get on WeChat, I can't work. Yeah, you know. And they, um, I don't know. And also, it's it's that kind of garbage that journalists in China have to deal with all the time. Yeah, you know, these people aren't covering sensitive, you know, government or political things. These guys are making eight thousand RMB a month, right? Trying to just, you know, cover cover, you know, business these businesses that are often doing really shady stuff. Sure. 
and and they get these guys act like they're from the mafia or something. You know, yeah. you get stories of people who have you know have you get visits with people going to their you know these you know kind of thugs coming to their door. You know, you get all sorts of threats, right? Like these, it's not easy to be even a business journalist yeah. in China, um, and it's because these these guys play really really dirty games with these guys with with journalists. You know, I don't know. I think it's 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 bullshit. In my mind, might have to bleep that, but I don't know. I I got very upset by it. I'm pissed off, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so turning now to uh, a couple of examples of companies that haven't quite had the success that that ByteDance is having abroad with uh, with TikTok. So La Echo and BYD mm-hmm. um, that you've also written pieces about. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. Uh, what's the stories with these two companies, and and what do you think has gone wrong for them well, in I, their expansions abroad? Maybe I, start with BYD. Well, okay. Well, BYD BYD has actually had a decent amount of success abroad, but they've done a lot very quickly, and it's been messy. So, what's the company? So, BYD is I mean, it's it's an electric vehicle company primarily at this point. We're most well known for being an electric vehicle company. They also make you know traditional automobiles. Um, but they have been making a series. They've been making yeah. a lot of electric buses. For different cities around the world, right? You want money uh, so in for the example, door, not they, going they out. Yeah. They have supplied the electric bus fleet to Los Angeles County, and they, you know, the the buses function for the most part. But they've had they've had quality issues. They've had issues. They've had a lot of accusations, credible accusations of mild corruption. They have uh, a lot of times overpromised, underdelivered. The, for example, their buses have trouble going up hills. So the way that you can look at this is, and also, also they have problems with managing staff, right? So local staff, they have, they'll, they'll do things that are often, at least in the U.S., would be considered, you know, they, mm. it's legal violations or just like, just not the way that you treat employees in the U.S. So what you could say here is, oh, this Chinese company comes there, they they bribe local politicians, they uh, get no-bid contracts, which they did, uh, and then they, they lie about what they can do, right? And then they, they treat their workers poorly, right? Sure. That's one way you could look at it, and that's partly true. But you could also sure. say, okay, well, this company is, you know, it's, it's not an easy expansion to do. It's technology that's developing as it goes along, so it's hard to make promises and know if you can deliver or not, so they probably over-promised a little bit. You know, it... Auto workers in the U.S. are particular are notoriously difficult to deal with. We could we could give them the benefit of the doubt, sure. absolutely. But there's also just a, there's a number of blips on the radar with BYD, right? They've had a number of different uh, deals uh, around the world where you know their the quality of their buses have been have had issues. Um, and then sure. there was this issue earlier this year, which was super shady, where they agreed to sponsor the British football club Arsenal, right? So it was a big, expensive sponsorship deal where they would have, you know, their logo on the, around the stadium. They would have their logo on, like, the chairs where the players would sit. And they announced that in the springtime. And then in sure. July, I believe, they said that this woman who had been in Shanghai kind of operating as a, as a middleman for them and, and dealing with Arsenal was committing fraud and that she had a, a fraudulent chop, you know, one of those stamps that the companies have on all the contracts in China. Sure. Uh, it was fraudulent and, you know, she got sent to jail. Now, 
this is kind of weird because that's not how you commit fraud. You don't you don't pay. You don't she was paying Arsenal. Yeah. You don't that's not how you're supposed to commit fraud. You, you want don't, money in the door, not going out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's something weird going on. And when and talking to people around who knew her uh, and who had dealt with the company, that she she had been working as a kind of a quote unquote representative of BYD for three years. So there's something that's and there's no way that they wouldn't have known about that. And speaking to other people who had been around that that woman or BYD. It seems as though something doesn't seem right. Either they were trying to get out of the deal, which is quite likely, um, and we also don't know who her boss was, mm. uh, and that seems to be the the big question mark. But it was either, and with a lot of these these globalizing Chinese companies, these global global Chinese deals, there are a few different things going on. One to consider is is leverage and debt issues and liquidity issues, and that as, that right now, I mean the. It's been well documented the this expansion of lending that's happened over the last ten years in China that there's been just a lot of money lent by by state banks and in their shadow banking sector that has caused the the corporate sector in China to be heavily over leveraged. BYD is a private company; they're not a state-owned company. So now that they're trying to cut back on the leverage of their their corporate sector, if you're a bank. It's much more reliable to lend to a state-owned company, even if they're even if you don't know if they're going to pay it back, than it is to a private company, right? So, if even if your your credit line gets cut just a little bit, if you're already heavily leveraged, that can be a big problem. Sure. Right. So if you're BYD and that happens to you, what do you do? Well, you got to cut expenses, unnecessary expenses, like marketing, right? So what better to cut than a, you know, a, a pricey sponsorship deal? So we don't know that that's what they did, but it seems like that it's likely that they were trying to pull out of that deal and this was a, a fall person for it. The other too bad she has to go to jail. Yeah, no, it's Jesus like Christ. Well, I mean her parents her family wrote this like this 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 WeChat post basically saying she didn't do anything wrong. They were kind of like pleading on her behalf. I don't know, maybe she's been released. I don't know. But we can get back to Leiko. Sure. Uh, which is I worked for them as well. And this is kind of how I got my my eyes open to it because a lot of that was happening in that case. Uh, so I worked for Leiko for about a year and a half in one way or another. And and what did they do? So they were they started off as basically the Netflix of China. Um, and then they, they also started making uh, phones and TVs um, that where they would sell them at below cost with the idea of being able to sell internet services on them. Sure. Right? It's actually... Clever. It, that, that's Xiaomi's model, actually. Yeah. But uh, Xiaomi is, be, is better managed. And Lego went too far. They made they started making a car. They started, you know, just going kind of going crazy in every 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 direction. They they opened a, a U.S. office that had 500 employees, a, uh, an office in India that had almost 100 employees, a big office in Russia. They went. They just did a crazy expansion uh, until they couldn't get funding anymore for it, and it just just collapsed. Sure. Um. And and it screwed a lot of people over. There were there. I I would go to work every day. And there were protesters in the lobby just sitting there day after day after day trying to get the money that they were owed. From, from salaries not being paid. Or uh, contracts. So like, like their vendors or... Yeah. You know, um, 
and and but there are also lots of employees that never got paid. And there were a lot of good people for the company. Like I know one executive who basically, uh, you know, there were there were salaries that weren't getting paid because Lego didn't have any money. And this this executive was paying people salaries yeah. out of her own pocket. You know, so you know these are good people who would work who, who worked for him, but they from the very beginning. You saw, I saw it and I was like, what is going on? It, it didn't make any business sense. And when you get down to it, you know, some of it's ego that someone thinks that they can be the next Steve Jobs. Sure. Another thing is that the all of a sudden lending just gets, they get access to capital. So they say, okay, let's max it out. And the other is that uh, they're they're trying to get money out of the country. So they do a global expansion. So they say, okay, well, you know, for them and their buddies, they can get their money out. So you, there were there were uh, a number of reports of uh, top leaders at Lego, you know, basically acquiring other assets that were not directly related to the business with money of the business. Sure. So the more that you're that you're involved with the company, the more it's like, okay, well, this we don't. This is not like how do you how do you represent a company like that? How do you stand behind a company like that and maintain your own integrity? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. So that was my my situation with that. I just find that there's, I I I have a lot of very good relationships and really admire a lot of Chinese entrepreneurs. The but the the environment in China for doing business and the just how other podcasts you've talked about this more, but it makes it really it really disincentivizes you know, good behavior. Yeah. And it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> because you know? because you see even even good people with good ideas and good products seem seem to have to go down this line of thought. I mean we had a we did a recent show with uh with Matt Sheehan who who mm. helped uh Kai Fuli write the uh AI superpowers book and mm. he has this whole thing where the idea of the Chinese startup uh, and tech ecosystem as this mm. gladiatorial combat. Yeah. And on the one hand, you know, if there are 10,000 Groupons that show up, like mm. the company that, you know, it, it's a real um, forcing agent for good management and good, for, for some some aspects of like good operational mm. uh, management, product, and product development, development mm-hmm. because, you know, you lose and there are 10 other companies right there yeah. to take your place. It's not like, it's not like no one else is doing the thing that you're doing. And, and given the lack of um, IP protections, someone else is going to, is going to, take the idea that you have and run yeah. with it. So you're really going to have to operate and execute at yeah. an extremely high level, probably yeah. higher than, than anywhere else in the world. Mm. But there is this flip side to it, as you say, where these types of, you know, less than uh, above the board behavior ends up getting incentivized because there are seemingly no rules to these sorts of competitions. Yeah. And, you know, there there's plenty of, of situations where, you know, you have the anti-corruption campaign, you know, so there are a lot of officials, I think, who, and a lot of business leaders who think that their days are numbered, right? Because the anti-corruption campaign isn't stopping. Yeah. Right? So if you're worried about your family, if you're worried about your assets if, or your own life, then what are you going to do? You say, I need to get, I need to get my money out. I need to get, uh, you know, can I get my, get my family out, right? And there are so many restrictions that one of the channels for doing it is a large firm globalizing. Right. Sure. So, so if if you are an entrepreneur who's in charge of this company, and I am a, a a political leader who has helped you get where you are, or can help you get further, 
I can come up to you and say, okay, you know, I need, I have, I have $5 million that I need you to help me get out of the country. Right. So, or I need you to help me buy a couple houses in London. Right. You have to say yes. Right. Yeah. And, but then, then what that does is, is how much of, how much are they focusing on business and how much are they just focused? It, 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 it becomes, it, it distorts it into something that, that even if, if someone wants to do something, you know, very legitimate from the very beginning, they, it, it becomes very difficult to do so because of kind of just how, just what the environment is at this point. Yeah. And the irony is that, you know, there is one belt, one road, right? Mm. And there's this whole idea of the Chinese government wanting these companies to become these global powers and, mm. and sell products on a global scale and mm. become globally competitive. Mm. Um, but at the same time, with all this stuff mixed in, as you said, mm. the business plans get trickier and there are two mm. bottom lines and it's not the happy two bottom lines that you hear about in the West, right? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it becomes uh, it becomes very counterproductive where on the one mm. hand, you, you, you do have these dreams of... Of, of having every phone in in, mm. in southeast in South Asia being a Xiaomi, but at the same mm. time, you know, not to cast any aspersions in that mm. company's direction, but um, you know, given given the atmosphere around mm. these cert- certain issues, you, you you do get mixed up in the types yeah. of uh, issues. You, you you have no choice but to get mixed up in the types of issues that yeah. you were talking to. But then also considering that, I mean, what some of these companies have accomplished is quite impressive. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So let's turn um, to the let's turn to the happy. Um, uh, Happy uh, Africa smartphone maker. Oh, maybe. Transient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's entirely happy. I mean, there's plenty of there. I mean, it, but <laughs> but no, that Transient's been very cool. Uh, it's very interesting to, to to follow. I listened to the uh, the China and Africa podcast. Yeah. Right with a uh, Copus Van Setten and Eric Olander. Very very good. Um, I highly recommend it. And they mentioned tech China tech in Africa. And they mentioned Techno, which is this was, I was like, what the hell is a Techno phone? T E C H N O. T A T E C N O, I think. T E C N O, yeah, no yeah. H, yeah. Yeah. And so I looked it up and found this company, Transian, right, who had, and, and kind of looked at some articles that have been written about them. They have, I believe, two thirds of all, of all cell phones in Africa, of all smartphones in Africa, are, are, are this Chinese company that no one's ever heard of in China called yeah. Transian, T R A N S S I O N. Um, and I started looking into them, um, and I started kind of contacting their PR and some of their executives, and, and they're, they're much more willing to talk than most Chinese PR that I deal with and executives. And it was really cool how they've, uh, you know, they went in there about 10 years ago and they've just kind of slowly been planting seeds. They've developed a lot of local contacts and local relationships. They've localized their operations in Africa. Yeah. And they hire a lot of local talent and they've really, you know, taken hold of the smartphone market in Africa. Now, you know, hardware is a difficult money or difficult business to make money on, right? To make really make a profit. And they're, they're selling them as cheap as possible, but they're eating up market share and if you if you're bullish on the future of african development if they are if all these africans that are making you know uh two hundred dollars a month now and a thousand dollars a month in uh in a couple years right that expansion the you know consumer expansion is uh is good for you if you're if you have their smartphones yeah it's interesting so i was on campus the other day at the pku huawei like info session to Mm. pitch um, graduating students to join Huawei. Mm. And one of the opening slides uh, of this guy was a stamp from Cameroon. Mm. And it was this Chinese guy and a few Africans, and they were like laying a 
pipe or whatever mm. and it was <laughs> what and, you know like it, and basically the idea was like they the the, the cameroonian government was so uh, like appreciative mm. of what huawei did for it that they mm. made a whole stamp of them helping set up their thing mm. and it kind of gave me a weird yingxiang like a like a little like white man's burden but like it's like china and we're helping our brothers in the south or whatever yeah but it yeah. seems it seems like this company is really not uh, doesn't really have that have they that will, mindset and are kind of meeting yeah. meeting the the customers on their own level and doing a really aggressive job of 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 localizing the thing that um uh or please well i i i i am hesitant whenever there is such a stark contrast drawn okay um because i'm sure there's there's good and bad at all these companies or there's sure know. one day but yeah and and that that patronizing you know that patronizing attitude is you know is definitely there but yeah it does seem like when i talk with them they really get what africa is about in a way and they really understand the african market and you know a lot of the in you know african markets all the different all these different you know there's 50 some odd countries in africa yeah um and all the complexities of it and the importance of localizing in ways that i was just really impressed by yeah so there was there was one product you spoke to about a camera that is specifically like tuned for African skin tones. Yes, exactly. And which is which is fascinating and something that you would not realize was an issue unless you really did some serious market research. Yeah. I mean, there's, this, there's this fascinating. I think it was a Slate video mm. talking about how like the way that Polaroid made their film mm. um, in the 50s and 60s or whatever, and it's kind of stayed throughout today was that. Uh, dark skin tones would just not come out right or like mm. look too dark or too light or the features would be gone um and and just the way you shoot and the way you tone you know tune mm-hmm. the contrast or whatever means that some skin tones are are just given or look livelier than others yeah and to for them to not only realize that was an issue um but then build a whole product and and make a whole camera which is sort of aimed at at fixing this market need yeah i think really speaks to what uh the the dedication that this company yeah. is is doing to try to understand and and fill what mm. uh what the african african consumers want yeah and most most of these most of the phones that were that the smartphones that we use uh are either developed by uh, American or East Asian companies, right? Sure. So they they assume that, especially in East Asia, right? Everyone wants to be, you know, you take the selfie, right? It makes you look more white. I yeah. have a, I have a Samsung, and it it, it kind of auto- automatically does that, yeah. <laughs> like beautifies my face if I take a selfie, um, but quote unquote beautifies, which means make it make it more white. Yeah. Um, so they've really you know jumped on the idea of like that there there are different standards of beauty in Africa. Like so, how do they? Uh, have a uh, the basically their 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 photo software on their phone in a way design it in a way that it kind of enhances that in in, in that way according to those standards which sure. is which is really cool and really thoughtful and and also they've they've localized their products in a lot of other ways so they um, they find ways to make it so that their battery life is longer because not everyone can access uh, electricity um, as easily as you know in Africa as, as elsewhere sure. Um, uh, they, you know, dual SIM cards so people can toggle their networks. Um, they've also, uh, they also try to make their, their phones as cheap as possible. So if you think about what I was contacted by somebody after I wrote that article who works for a refugee assistant program, assistance program. And he said, you know, when we go to at refugee camps, right? You know, everyone's using a transient phone. Yeah. Because you can get it for $50. So if you're only making, 
you know, $100 a month, right? Uh, like a lot of these, you know, like the kind of people that would be in a refugee yeah, camp. You're not getting a Huawei. You're not getting a Vivo or a yeah, Xiaomi. You know, yeah. this is your but, this is your product. But that that opens doors of opportunity for these people. And it's, you know, there is a – it's very cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I am very hesitant to to be like to, – to paint a picture of a company being saint-like. Sure. But it's cool – that they do this. It's I think. not, I, I guess maybe the takeaway is like, it is not impossible for a Chinese company to navigate these sorts of issues and figure it out yeah. just as well as companies no. in Silicon Valley has. I mean, there's no like yeah. intrinsic Chinese-ness, which is stopping good market research, good product localization. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And they, um, I mean, they got in there and they, they were patient and they took their time and they really kind of, they, they did it. Like, I think one thing that you hear throughout that company is just, and I think it's it's such a basic thing, but it has it's been a problem for you know obviously with a lot of American companies going abroad, you know, with a history of European influence around the world, um, and with Chinese companies going abroad too, is like what you said that kind of like patronizing attitude or this attitude of like just an attitude where of disrespect, I think, in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, Which is absolutely something you hear in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. This idea of like we know we have the knowledge. And we are going to improve their lives rather than being like, what, getting down there and being like, who are these people? What is important to them? Um, What kind of lives do they live? And what are some ways that our products, our services, our company can contribute to that? Yeah. Um, And and that's something that it seems that Transient is doing well. So kudos to them. So let's turn now to your book project. Mm-hmm. So Geek Park. A book, what is book, is, <laughs> book is book is in the future. Right now okay. it's an article project, but I want to write a book, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So what is Geek Park? Okay. So um in 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 the US, right, there's this famous uh, you know, you have the PayPal mafia, right? So you have um Peter Thiel and Peter uh, Thiel, Elon Alan Musk. And- yeah. So you have all these guys are were all involved in PayPal when it first became the company that it that it is now and then they left and they went to start you know to invest in facebook to start linkedin to start palantir to start tesla youtube right so so much of what we see now is kind of these big names around the uh, around silicon valley came out of you know the, the out of paypal in china what we see is that a lot of these names come uh, come out of what i would call the Geek Park Mafia, right? So Geek Park is like a tech media outlet, kind of an incubator. They have these conferences. Uh, they're they're headed up by this guy named Zhang Peng or Jack Zhang. But he, about ten years ago, he was an editor at a magazine called CEO CIO Magazine, and terrible name. <laughs> that was the English name. <laughs> I don't remember what the what the Chinese name was. Okay, um, but under him. Like just he had four journalists that worked for him. He also had started his own magazine called Business Value. He had four five journalists that worked for him. Four of them went on to become very, very, very you know big names. So we had the person who basically created Xiaomi's ecosystem, right? The basically the the, the Meet UI was a, a journalist for him, right? Uh, Victor Zhou Zhou Yuan, who is the founder and CEO of Zhihu. Right, two point five billion dollar uh, knowledge sharing platform in China. He used to be a journalist for him. Right, another number of people who are went on to be big 
build up uh, China's um, uh, venture capital ecosystem. Used to work for him. Uh, Hu Weiwei, founder of Mobike, right? She used to work for him. And uh, these, they used to have these meetups in this basement in Beijing, where it was kind of an incubator before there were incubators or accelerator before there were accelerators. And do you want to date this? This is probably 2008, 2009, 2010, right? So they were really into this idea of the, the future of the mobile internet. The, I, the iPhone had just come out, and Jack Zhang, uh, Zhang Peng, he was also he also knew uh, Zhou Hongyi, the founder of uh, uh, Chihu 360, quite well. And they were very excited about the potential of mobile internet, and they liked the, kind of the philosophy and the the user focus, the the these ideas of kind of like lean startup methodology. And they would have these meetups to kind of talk about different ideas for for internet companies and things like that. And in the in that basement where they do these meetups, you'd have Wang Xing, the founder and CEO of Meituan, right? pitching Meituan. You'd have uh, uh, Zhang Yimin, the found, founder and CEO of ByteDance, pitching ByteDance, right? You had Lei Jun from uh, Xiaomi pitching Xiaomi, right? And so you'd had just, it's like billion-dollar company after billion-dollar company. It's, it's one basement, a bunch of 20-somethings, sure. and, and now it's $200, $300 billion, right? So, um, I mean, just hearing about, I, I, in this, I'm in Beijing right now, visiting and, and, and talking to different people. I've, I'm, I had worked with and were friends with a lot of these people who kind of came out of that scene. And, you know, just talking with them about their backgrounds, it was always this, this, this geek park mention, right? So how'd you meet that person? Oh, geek park. How'd you meet that person? Oh, geek park, right? Um, and I also noticed that oftentimes the founders or executives that I clicked the most with were from this background, right? These are people that used to be journalists, right? I'm a pseudo journalist as well. <laughs> um, and just having this, this, this attitude of curiosity, being able to kind of play with an idea that I think goes into product design and building a business as well. So I, I was talking with Xiao Yongfeng, who is, um, he used to be one of the journalists and he is the basically designed or was one of the, he is the VP for, of uh, basically the IOT, the whole ecosystem for, um, for Xiaomi design that built it basically himself amongst others. But he used to be, he was telling me that one of the big like transition moments of his life was when he wrote a negative story about a a company that he did not disclose to me, <laughs> but he wrote a, a critical story that he stood behind. And he had an editor um, at CEO CIO magazine, um, the editor-in-chief, uh, who had received a complaint from that company because they were a sponsor. And they were putting, getting a lot of pressure to take the article down. And he meets, the editor meets with, uh, with Xia, and he goes, okay, well, do you stand behind everything that you wrote? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, all right, we're going to keep it up there, right? And about how this is this turning point for him, where it's like, oh, like, well, if it's a, if it's a good article, if you can stand behind the work that you do, then you should be able to stand behind it, even if it's difficult. Sure. So later on, when he worked for you know, Business Value magazine, which is uh, which later became kind of Geek Park, which is uh, Zhang Peng, Jack Zhang's magazine. Jack asked him. He said, "Do you want to be? You have two career paths for you. You can either be go be a really really good journalist, right, and and you know be a feature writer, things like that, or you could be you know move up the chain and be an editor and kind of you know be more in a management position." And he thought about it, and he's like, "No, I just want to be like the best journalist that I can be." Sure, right? But 
So what he wanted to do was really just focus on just making something of really good quality. And he said that the things that he liked most were just to consume information, to kind of synthesize information, to find the themes in it, and then communicate it, mm. right? And he's like, then like, I started working for Xiaomi, and I'm still doing the same thing. Right. That's what product design is. Right. Uh -huh. So it's finding out about your users. It's finding what they like. It's synthesizing the patterns that make a good product. Right. And then and then making a, a new product. Right? Sure. So it's this way, this kind of attitude that makes somebody a good journalist. It also makes somebody a good product designer. Yeah. But it's a principles focused approach. So it's saying that as long as you're engaging the user, as long as you're you know, making something you can really believe in. Right the fundamentals will always be there. But if you're kind of uh, going this way or that way to the whims of, of the market or, you know, trying to chase, you know, users, then um, you're not going to feel as good about yourself and you're not going to be as sustainable over the long term, right? Sure. And that's also what good journalism is, right? If you're, if you're going for clicks, you're not going to make good journalism, right? But if you're, if you're really trying to produce something good, you're going to do it. And I think that this is something that I've noticed with a lot of these folks, right? Yeah. That there's this very heavy product orientation that really causes these, the really good ones to stand out. Yeah, and that, and that has an origin in this kind of real journalism training. Yeah, and journalism and also just kind of a passion for entrepreneurship too and passion mm -hmm. for product creations and product design, user orientation. Like I, I, I've done a lot of work with Jerhu, which is that knowledge sharing platform. And um, I worked a lot with their their founder and CEO, Victor Joe, who's also one of these Geek Park guys. Right? Sure. And, you know, the, the company has hundreds of employees. It's a, you know, $2.5 billion company. But I've noticed, like, if I answer a question or ask a question on the platform, I'll get a message from Victor that's like, hey, I saw you're on the platform. I saw you answer yeah. the question, right? And so he's this guy is spending lots of time on the platform still looking at how the platform is functioning yeah. uh, and who's on it. And this idea of staying focused on that core product that I think really, you know, it makes Chinese, like the Chinese internet, these Chinese internet companies, you know, kind of stand out and, you know, really be kind of something that is, you know, special, I think. Uh, same thing with uh, with Mobike, I think, too. So, um, you know, Hu Weiwei, she was a... Um, uh, a, a former Geek Park journalist, right, and kind of from, com, coming from this school of thought, I think. And, and you can tell with just the Mobike product design, Mobike makes better bikes than Ofo. Yeah, because right? they weren't com they weren't comfortable with the business model of the ten of the you know more bikes for shitter bikes, and you can really see it in Beijing nowadays that like the Ofos fall apart. Yeah, and every fourth bike, you can't, um, you know, the chain's off, or it's, mm -hmm. you know, the something is rubbing against something else. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I'm sure both companies did the numbers, mm -hmm. um, and both companies thought their numbers were going to work out. Well, um, but yeah. there was a, there was a decision. There was the decision at some point, mm -hmm. um, which had to come down to a gut feeling: is are you are you comfortable with the cheaper, with more bikes for cheaper, or do you really want to make these two hundred dollar tanks? Um, that aren't going to go anywhere anytime soon and that you can be comfortable with six months or a year from now, you'll still be able to get on and ride. Yeah. And the decision that that Mobike made, which is the one that seems to have paid off, mm. um, was that building the higher quality thing and having mm. it, you know, live for a longer time and have your customers have higher, higher satisfaction is the decision that was that was ultimately the right one. And that's that paid off for them with this, you know, two plus billion dollar uh Exit for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and look what's happening with the Oppo. I mean, they're they're a dumpster fire. Yeah. And 
I mean, but it, just if you look at their the original Mobike, you know, it was built what well, with the it was, it was like forty pounds. It was unbelievable, yeah, super heavy. It was built with aircraft grade metal, yeah. right? And the the chain was covered or it didn't have a chain beyond chain. It was, uh, it was it, beyond. I don't know. It was. <laughs> it, it could not get unchained. Yeah, exactly. It couldn't yeah. get on. It couldn't get unchained. And there were no spokes. The spokes were like kind of thick metal or thick plastic, so that it was very hard to break it. Right. Yeah. It was something where I think Weiwei wanted, and she's explained this that she from the very beginning she was like, I don't want this thing to break. I don't want to be creating litter. And now we've seen that that this kind of this rush of cash. And this competitive landscape kind of, it, it was hard to kind of maintain those principles. I think it's something that they're, that they're trying to get back to um, since the Meituan acquisition. And I think it was, I mean, you can't, you also can't blame them, you know, with, when you have the bikes everywhere. If, if you need market share, right? And if your sure. success depends on market share, you got to flood, you got to flood the streets if your competitors are flooding, flooding the streets, yeah. right? But I think it's also, it's hard to... The I, distinction, I think, is the design decisions yeah. and the logic behind the design decisions of what they were willing to spend and not willing to spend money on when it came to the uh, the actual bikes on the street. Yes, exactly. And have you ridden the new ones? Those new orange ones? They're great. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what they call what they called them in, when they were designing them? Please. They the, they referred to it as ACO because the design inspiration is based off a Clockwork Orange. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> So uh no but it's like there is this uh but there there is this passion that you see I think with these people from these this background and this kind of similar way of thinking that I think really um and it's what I like about China tech. So I'm I'm writing about these I'm kind of I'm talking with each of these different people who are who were there at that time and kind of talking about how their own way of looking at the world, their way of looking at business was inspired from that. Sure. So I'll ha- hopefully have an article out soon and who knows, maybe a book later on, maybe a podcast series. But yeah, it's 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 what I'm looking into right now and just kind of it's just fun to hear to meet with these guys and and to, to hear their stories and um you know, it's it's one of the things that makes me feel good about, you know, the whole tech scene here. Elliot, thanks so much for coming on China Econ Talk. It was great to be here. Thanks, Jordan. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason MacRonald and Kaiser Guo and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from SUP China. For other great shows on China, check out the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices Podcast, and of course, the Seneca Podcast, now in its ninth year. Until next week. Shut the trash